Hello everyone and welcome to another Charity Chat podcast. I'm your host and my name is Osman Mughal. Today I'm speaking with Paul Evans, CEO at Leadership Through Sport and Business. Leadership Through Sport and Business is a social mobility charity that prepares and supports young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into meaningful careers. Leadership through sport and business makes sure young people find careers equal to their ambition and ability, and they can contribute from the first day on the job. In this conversation, we discuss Paul's background, his step into the world of youth work, following his passions for social mobility and inclusion. Paul's organisation works with partners and organisations of all shapes and sizes to enable and empower young people with the opportunities to thrive, building their capacity, networks and resilience. It was also refreshing to hear how Paul and his organisation are working to improve equality, diversity and inclusion with the corporates they place young people in by supporting and educating them, adjusting cultures and enabling them to think differently. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Evans, CEO at Leadership Through Business and Sport. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Hi, thank you very much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And before we get into the podcast itself and discuss all the amazing work that you do with young people across the United Kingdom, how have you been getting on in the last few months with COVID-19? Well, it's been a really interesting time, as you can imagine, not least because I joined the organisation in lockdown. So I'm only just starting to meet some of my colleagues. I joined on April the 1st, met most of my colleagues, if not all but two of my colleagues over Zoom. So, uh, you know, that, that's quite strange in of itself, isn't it? Um, and then, you know, at the same time where we're translating our programmes from being, you know, physical with young people uh, onto virtual platforms and delivery and all of the things that come with working with young people who have been the hardest hit or one of the hardest hit groups, you know, thanks to COVID and thanks to this crisis. And we'll come on to that later, I imagine. But yeah, really interesting and unique time. Absolutely. It must be a really difficult time to join an organisation, but particularly as chief executive, as a, as a leader of your organisation, I imagine. Yeah, it, it's, it could have been a lot harder if it wasn't for, the, for how it was set up for me to join. So the uh, a brilliant CEO, Caroline, uh, before me, um, stayed within the organisation for three months to help me transition. So we, we operated as co-CEOs for three months. And I'm really delighted that she's actually taken up a new role as our funding and development director with a, with a very much focused role in, in, in that area, allowing me then just to kind of take the charity forward. But, you know, we came into this and, and agreed that it's such a unique time that we need to stabilise the organisation, show confidence to our partners and investors and funders by operating a low ego, highly collaborative model of co-leadership. And, and we've done that really well. So it could have been a lot harder had we not had you know, an honest conversation and really thought about what really mattered from a leadership point of view, as opposed to, you know, how it could have been just coming in and someone else stepping down and just getting on with it. 
Absolutely. And um, shall we get into the podcast now? And I wanted yeah. our listeners to get to know you a little bit and the fantastic track record you've got in the charity sector. So do you mind running us through your experience, the roles and responsibilities that you've held prior to your current role and your passions and interests and what made you really excited for this particular role? Sure. Uh, well, I'll start with what made me excited about this sector, if that's all right. Absolutely. Um, I, I come from, yeah, I come from a, a, a place called Newark, uh, a small market town, which in the government social mobility report was highlighted as the second to worst place to grow up if you're poor, the 323rd worst district to grow up, something like that, which I'm always um, startled by these reports, how they like to wipe out the whole community of, and label people low aspiration and, you know, um, all of these things which don't help communities who might be suffering from poverty or underserved or have structural disadvantages. So I come from that hometown and I, I got into the kind of the corporate sector. And then in my early 20s, I thought, do you know what? I, I want to do something with a social impact. I grew up in, on, on an estate. I've seen um, how lives can spiral out of control and descend into all the kind of the wrong things. I'd love to get into that, into the kind of area of social work or youth work and build a career like that. And that was around the advent of social enterprise. And you might remember that the, the, the era of social enterprise, if you like, when it was big on the agenda and how do we match business with social impact and how can we combine those great things? And I thought, this is brilliant. And I got involved with a youth charity in my hometown where I uh, retrained as a youth worker and delivered alternative education programs to young people who were at risk of being excluded from school or who had been. I worked with the traveler community. I worked with in pupil referral units really kind of cutting my teeth if you like you know, delivering on, on the frontline services and and through there I grew my career I ended up managing that place I ended up merging with it into a larger multi-million know, um, multi pound organization um, and then gained experience within mental health and homelessness and bid writing and development and working with corporates and donors and all of those things and then through there got um, took my my first MD role at Street League a football charity that used the power of football to engage young people and progress them into employment. And I was largely responsible for growing that organization from there, then moved into a CEO role of an education charity, which worked with um, young people across the country who needed extra support to flourish within mainstream education and step up as leaders and help practitioners work better with those young people who wanted to thrive within a school setting but perhaps couldn't within a one size kind of fits all education system. And then from there, I, I came into um, leadership through sport and business. And our main aim here is to recruit, prepare and support young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into meaningful, meaningful careers with major firms. And so that's a little bit about me. That's why I care. I will always be in this sector. I'm a youth worker at heart and I absolutely care about social mobility, social inclusion. Uh, with a particular spin on on young people being able to flourish and get the best out of their life. Thank you for that's really inspiring to hear. And it's interesting that you mentioned started out your career in youth work and delivering frontline services. How do you think that experience has really been helpful and useful? in you leading a charity that is very much at the front line so you understand those issues more than most 
Yeah, I think when you have done something like that for, for so long, you, you really have experienced the, the challenge of frontline delivery, uh, emotional kind of drain that comes with that sometimes when you're working with the most vulnerable and you're working in hard circumstances. So you understand the, the nature of kind of overwhelm and fatigue around, you know, such such important but, um, you know, hard work sometimes. So you're able to communicate that to frontline delivery staff that you, you know what that feels like. So you're able to have that sense of that as you lead. You also actually understand what it takes to work with young people because you've done it. You've seen the barrier, you've seen the whites of people's eyes as they're struggling to cope. So once that's kind of in you, once you've done that, you, you can never forget that because you've been that youth worker that's probably laid awake worrying about somebody at night time or you know you, you've worried about a family or you've you know you've, you've been so disappointed that somebody has dropped out of a program because of whatever circumstance in their life so all that builds in you a, a compassion that doesn't ever go away no matter how many times the job title changes so i think it's really important i would i would add though that you know i don't think it's a necessary thing i don't think you have a monopoly on leadership or empathy or care just because you've been a frontline worker but i do think in my own from my own perspective it's very much fed into how i lead and how i think about you know as we grow services working working from the young person perspective having the young person at the heart of everything you do and that's the key isn't it is making sure that we are beneficially focused as an as an organization and as a sector as well i want you to now turn to your role your current role as ceo of leadership through sport and business and i wanted to ask what does a usual day look like for you and what do you most enjoy about your role okay great question uh, my my usual day, so I'm, I'm going to start with a personal thing here. I, I'm attempting to be a member of the 5.30 a.m. club. So this is, a, you might see this on Twitter. These are the people that believe that getting up at 5.30 a.m. is the way to win the day, get in your workout, sort your calendar out, do your emails. And I, so I'm one of those people. But my 5.30 a.m. club is slipping 11 minutes past six. Um, so I, I'm not doing <laughs> too good at it, but I attempt to get up. Always do a workout and try to get ahead of the day whilst it's, it's quite peaceful. And I think it's, um, it, it's really helped me, actually, from a mindset point of view and a focus point of view. And how long have you been doing that now? Probably about four or five months. And for the first month, I hated it. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm still the biggest fan, to be, to be quite honest. It depends whether the little ones woke me up at, at night time. But uh, <laughs> anyway... So that, that's how I, I kind of get started. And then it, it's, um, I check in with my um, amazing uh, assistant, Cap, first thing in the morning to review the day, think about the reading materials, think about the meetings coming up, absolutely kind of get up to speed with what I'm, what I'm doing and what's came in overnight, which inevitably in this 24-7 will things do. And then it's, you know, the day can be very different. It could be um, pitching to corporates or introducing myself to corporate partners that want to work with us. Um, in different ways, I could be talking to funders, talking to partners around collaboration on projects, series of internal meetings where you're trying to offer a perspective or remove barriers or try and support the problem solving process, right through to just having a chat with somebody that, especially right now, might just be struggling a little bit with all the homeschooling and just being in a situation where we haven't been able to go out and socialize. So it could be anything from strategic conversations to a kind of cup of coffee over Zoom with somebody that might just be just just struggling a little bit. 
Absolutely. So it is a quite varied role and you have to wear a lot of hats as a CEO, I'm sure. Yes, you do. Absolutely do. And you've mentioned a little bit about the aims and mission of your organisation. And I just wanted to go down that path a little more and understand what the organisation actually does and how it aims to support and empower young people. As an individual that is a fundraiser that works for a children's charity, I think working with children and young people is one of the best things um, to do. But I also think empowerment is a key word. It's about providing those children and young people the tools to succeed, as opposed to um, giving them the answers. It's about them figuring out for themselves. So I just wanted to know, from your perspective, what your vision is and what the mission and aims of your organisation Okay, so I've just got to kind of congratulate you on something there because you're you're quite right about the empowerment. And, you know, for for a long time in the sector, we saw youth work as something that was done to young people. You know, you've been youth worked. (laughs) And what we weren't doing is, is building their capacity, strengthening their networks, giving them the social capital and platforms to actually you know, move on and achieve and, and have that kind of legacy and sustainability to their life, uh, building in the resilience and all the other things that are important. But, you know, kind of back to what we do. So we are, we, we work with young people from disadvantaged backgrounds and young people that face a range of barriers to connect them with employers to offer them meaningful career opportunities through apprenticeships that pay well. And, our, and, and we advocate and we, we um, we get our apprentices probably ten thousand pounds more in salary above the minimum apprenticeship allowance. So we advocate on behalf of fair pay for young people in meaningful careers and opportunities. And that meaningful bit is the key bit for us. It's no good for us just putting a young person in just a job. You know, we want to launch careers that match a young person's abilities and aspirations, and that can really turn their life around. We don't make the assumption that just because you're from a disadvantaged background, that an entry-level job is the only one for you. So that's what we're about. But really, it's about social capital and networks. The young people we work with, they they probably won't, well, they won't go to a Russell Group University. Their dad probably doesn't know another lawyer. Their mum doesn't know another doctor or someone in, you know, who's a high-level accountant, their families are probably not linked in professional services that way. So we provide those kind of bridges to facilitate the, the networking, to put them in front of people they would never meet, usually, to put them in environments like corporate environments, these bewildering, intimidating places, you know, with these massive lobbies and several stories high. Well, we take them into these environments to just to help them learn about the environments that they want to they want to end up working in. So it is about connecting young people to those opportunities, but at the same time, preparing them and readying them to be able to go into those, those firms and contribute from day one. And our programmes, if I can get into that, then are, are, are pre-apprenticeship programmes. So we recruit young people onto our pre-apprenticeship boot camps, we call them, where there's a combination of sport and employability skills and debating sessions and independent mentors will come in and a range of things within the program, um, which could last from anything from four weeks for our digital program with NatWest and RBS right now, right through to 
12 weeks, you know, or three to four months on a, on a longer accounting type program. But in its essence, it's about preparing them with the, and equipping them with the skills, confidence, and abilities necessary to become responsible leaders, confident people, successful learners, and ready to go into the world of work. Now, the other flip side to that is we also prepare work for young people. So we deliver inclusive line manager training for firms. Because what we know is it's not good enough just to place a young person into a firm and say, away you go. We actually need to support that young person. But we also need to train the people within the companies on how to work with young people that might be different to your usual groups of young people. So if a business wants to become more diverse, we can help with that. I mean, our, our stats are really good on diversity, but it's no good saying, you know, recruiting a Muhammad and asking him to ask, act like an Oliver and not adjust your company culture. So we help corporates adjust their culture to recognize that if you are going to be, become more diverse and bring people into the workplace, you need to think differently about how you might manage and lead and support these young people who, who might be different from the norm within your organization. And I think that's a really important thing to do, to, to, to smooth that pathway for a young person and help a business better be able to work with, with young people. Absolutely. And I think that that's music to my ears, particularly your point around um, equality, diversity and inclusion of workplaces. And within the charity sector, as you know, there's been a lot of conversation in recent months with the Black Lives Matter movement, with COVID-19 and the inequities it's shown in society, but also wider conversations that the Institute of Fundraising and organisations like the charity So White have led on, um, with yesterday being the first ever BAME online um, conference. So it's really music to my ears that leaders like yourselves are really incorporating in terms of your strategy and the way you work with young people, that you're not only working within your own remit, but you're actually working with corporates where your young people will get jobs in to make sure that they are more equal and diverse, because that's how we create sustainable change and long term change. Absolutely right. And sometimes it's really simple things that businesses haven't thought about. So they might wonder why certain members of the team are becoming disengaged. And we will say to people, you know, if your way of team building is Friday night at the pub and you've just recruited two Muslim ladies, you might wonder why you're struggling. You know, to be quite frank about it, this is what happens sometimes. People are recruited and made to fit in with existing cultures. And then these organizations wonder why they've got issues. I wonder why people leave and they stay white middle-class people looking around their floor saying, <laughs> why do we all look the same? You know, simple measures sometimes, simple recognition that we can support. And it's not antagonizing corporates or organizations this. It's just saying there are small things sometimes that, 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 that you can change right now. If your decision-making is, is in the pub after work and you have women that have to get home, for childcare responsibilities or caregivers, and I'm you know, somewhat generalizing, but this is what happens sometimes. You are then excluding team members from the decision-making process because you've decided to have the important conversations at times when not everybody can be there. I mean, they're just a couple of examples, you know, and I'm being dead straight with how I'm talking about them, but that's what we're helping corporates to realize that, you know, if you have a social mobility program or a diversity program, there's a lot to change sometimes to be ready to, to fully embed that program um, 
and so so you get to where people are just working with people and you forget whatever label you've given you've given that program i i couldn't agree more paul and you've mentioned a couple of corporate organizations that you work in as part of your organization could you share a little bit more about how you cultivate those relationships how do you get those organizations on board and what support do you provide them and the young people that they look to recruit so we have a great network of employers that care passionately about social mobility and giving young people opportunities they range from small brilliant accountancy firms like bkl through to RSM, Salesforce, Sackers, Capco, a range of companies that are offering opportunities for young people. Some like NatWest and RBS, which we are recruiting 300 apprentices for over the next three years in three cities, right through to just smaller firms, as I say, like BKL. But how we engage them then is we have an extensive network, really. So we are, we are able to reach corporate partners through our networks of trustees and and patrons and ambassadors and our founder, David Pinchin. He, he was a great guy in, in the, the banking industry and he, he is so good at connecting us with people, connecting the organization with corporate partners and his connections. He's got a black book, which, you know, if I stood on it, I'd be nine foot tall, I think, and I'm only five foot eight. It's just brilliant. And it, it, you know, what, what he's managed to do in terms of setting up this charity in 2012 and grow it through connections and, real partnerships you know and anybody that and you will know this yourself this is all about relationships really and and true engagement and the true spirit of collaboration and low ego interactions that actually put the beneficiary first as we say so we have the network side of things but then we have the track record so with natwest rbs we started with a pilot of 10 young people and it's now 300 but we just did what we said we were going to do you know, if you support us during this program, we will place these young people with you and they will be prepared and ready and you will be trained and supported on how to work with these young people. Let's try it. Let's try it with 10. And if it works, let's build that. And that's what we're doing. So there's the networks, there's the track record of impact, which is what it's all about. And then there's the usual, just going out and prospecting, you know, the old sales way of doing things, cold calling. They're just trying it and chancing our arm with, corporates and trying to get somebody to have a conversation with us and and hunt them down on LinkedIn with our impact report <laughs> to talk to them you know it's the old school ways of trying to um, trying to connect with people but th there's no there's nothing um, more important really than track record of delivering impact and let let that speak for itself you articulate it but you can be the you know the, the best salesperson in the world if you haven't got the impact behind it to back it up then there really is no point. So it's a multi-channel way of doing these things. That's really interesting to hear that you've got a multi-agency approach. And if we look at the flip side of that, so how do you recruit those young people um, to be part of the organisation? Because there is a, a challenge working with some of these communities that they're tagged as being disadvantaged or hard to reach. I don't like those particular terms, but those communities can sometimes be um, challenging to engage with. So how do you bring them on board and see them through that process? Okay, well, just to say, I, I agree with you on the, on the hard to reach and disadvantage point. I don't think anybody's hard to reach. We shouldn't make young people the problem. We just need to try harder to reach them. 
and, and the same with the disadvantage. There's no such thing as a disadvantaged young person. You know, there's a young person. That's what they are. They're young people. And they might be disadvantaged through structure and all of the different things that we, we know about in this sector. Let's never make them the problem. But how do we get them? Well, we work with football clubs. You know, a range of football club partners that, that through their brand and their support, West Ham, um, Aston Villa, Tottenham, Everton, Liverpool, you know, a variety of, of different clubs there that, that um, support our work. So we can reach young people that way in the communities. We work with partners to share opportunities. And, and again, this is that low ego point. Let's, let's share opportunities across youth services and youth organisations. Because if a young person isn't right for your programme, they might be right for mine and vice versa. What matters is we get them on the programme that's going to help them. But then there's the usual channel, channels of Instagram and, and Twitter and things like that. And things that I don't understand like TikTok and, you know, uh, and all that, that I'm just glad somebody else does. So again, this is about segmentation, isn't it? How do you communicate with young people? Well, it's the way they communicate with each other. That's how you communicate with young people. And outreach, detached youth work, all of those things, you know, and you never quite know what works. That's the thing. <laughs> If you're really honest about it, you never quite know which of those is really working for you. But it's important to be at the times and places where young people are, you know, build services that meet the young person's needs, not the other way around. And just try your best in whatever channel through partnerships and various ways of recruiting to find young people. And we manage it. And sometimes it's tougher than others. You know, sometimes it's hard, but, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear, especially when you talk about collaboration with different organisations, because there are a lot of organisations in the UK that predominantly work with children and young people in, in similar ways. So it's about making sure that you're well connected within those organisations so that you can provide the best support to that young person. Because like you said, if they're not particularly right for your programme, they will be for another and that's where I wanted to delve into a little bit more is what organisations or types of organisations do you work with on a frequent basis to ensure that the young person is provided with holistic support? Yeah, so we, we are very networked in with um, the voluntary sector, the sport for development sector, the youth organisations, but not just on a national basis. It's, it's about locality. You know, I always say that, it's a, you know, we have a, a guy called Chris in Liverpool. He runs our um, cohorts, young people in Liverpool, and, and he's the CEO really of LTSB in Liverpool. And Shemaine's the CEO of LTSB in Manchester because they can make or break the success of the programmes. They're the ones that link in with their local, there's a, the local authority, the, the partnerships there to, to bring together all the, all the partners and agencies that need to be there to recruit young people, but also to refer to other services if we are not best placed to help that young person. So we make sure we have these area plans in place that we know people that were out there meeting other organizations because it's really important that if a young person struggles within our program, and it might be because they're at risk of becoming homeless or they're getting themselves into debt or, arrange, or mental ill health or all of these different things that affect people, that we're able to pick up the phone to somebody that knows us and say, can you help? You know, and we might refer the young person on, or it might, in partnership, the young person is able to stay on one of our programs because they're getting additional support from somewhere else. Gone are the times where it's these are our young people, you lot stay away in this kind of drive for funding, as though that's the whole thing that matters. It it, it does matter, but if it, if all that mattered was the money, 
in the funding, we're all in the wrong game. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And and that's coming from a fundraiser uh, as well. I think <laughs> the most the most important thing is impact. And are we making a difference? And making sure that we're networked in with the right people, the right organisations to achieve that long lasting change. Because, you know, we're in a, a very peculiar environment and sector whereby we don't really want to be in business, as it were. Um, you know, we would hope that there is no... Um, need for a charity sector but unfortunately as we know there is um, and therefore to really hone in and try to make sure that we are as beneficially focused as possible and when we are coming together to collaborate making sure it's not for a particular funding opportunity that we've heard of and we just need to collaborate with a particular organization um, and that's happened a few times Um, but rather it's about really making sure that we're doing the best for our beneficiaries and the last few months we've touched on it a little bit but the last few months have been a challenge to say the least. Obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and following following the death of George Floyd and also COVID-19 showing the inequities that we have in our society. How has that affected the way that you talk to young people that you engage with? How has that affected your delivery um, with co- in respect with COVID-19? In terms of our delivery then, we've had to we, we usually run physical boot camps, you know, so we work directly in front of young people on our programs for several weeks. And we've had to move all of that online. And we've done that in, in record time, really, and really successfully. I've got a brilliant team of people that, um, you know, forgetting job titles, they just want to support young people in the mornings, the evenings and the weekends, wherever they need our help. And they have needed our help because, there's you know, this has really affected young people loneliness has gone up you know reports of loneliness from young people is higher than ever before the the anxiety that young people feel about their future is higher than ever before they are in sectors which have closed down because of lockdown so if you're in hospitality or retail all these things that usually occupied by young people they've been shut down so you have the Inability to go out, affecting people's physical and mental health, especially with young people. They're they're out of jobs. 260,000 more young people claiming employability support benefits now than in March. You know, it's massive rises. We're we're racing to a youth unemployment crisis again, you know. And pandemics in the history of modern pandemics is one of inequality. The vulnerable and young people get hit the hardest. And here we go again. So we've seen all that and we've been able to support them, sometimes by facilitating counselling sessions, sometimes by just being there for a young person on the end of the phone, by hundreds of WhatsApp messages, you know, any way we can, by giving them equipment so that they're able to take part in our virtual programmes because it's one thing saying we're going to do this all online and it's another thing, a young person having the equipment to do it, having the space to do it, having who probably only has one laptop for a whole household you know so there's a lot of assumptions we've had to challenge ourselves with what what barriers do we need to remove for young people to actually take part in our programs online um i'm kind of hoping i'm not going off on a tangent here but we've had to respond as an organization but at the heart of that is we can do all that stuff what's really critical is that we still support and hold our young people young people that thought they were about to go into an opportunity that then didn't thanks to covid so we are working with new cohorts of young people, but still supporting those that we worked with previously 
who didn't go into opportunities thanks to COVID and we're, we're still working with them. You know, that's what, that's what matters. That's why we're, we're in this game. I wanted to give you the opportunity also to share some of the success stories. We've spoken a lot about the way you recruit young people, the way you work with organisations across the UK um, to mm. get those young people into work. Do you have any particular examples of strong case studies or successes that you would like to share? Yeah, we, we've had, I mean, people even just recently that were, um, that were didn't have any opportunity available to them that have just... Uh, started opportunities with Salesforce you know so during Covid they thought they were going to have opportunities they didn't and now thanks to a new partnership we've launched with Salesforce two people just today I'm hearing I've gone into those opportunities you know we're, we're talking about again the NetWest RBS we have young people coming through every day now excited about this new program the new program that will give them digital skills qualifications software developer qualifications data analyst a range of different things we have, I was just thinking about one young person that we highlight in the impact report, actually, who, um, who was a carer. She had to become a carer because you need to earn money, but, but ended up progressing into an accountancy uh, firm and challenged and, uh, and made, made a case for not writing off people as just or defining people as they are their current job. So because you were a carer, that's all you could ever be, you know. So, you know, case studies like that where young people have had to take money now and, and put off opportunities for later because they might be caregivers. They might need to contribute financially to the household. But thanks to the opportunities we've been able to give them, have managed to go into meaningful careers with salaries that pay well. But it does challenge us all to think when you define people constantly by their CV as though because you did that, that's all you can become or that you've reached your ceiling. It's, it's, it's never the right way to go about it. And we do that to young people all the time. You as a carer or you worked in a care home or you're an assistant somewhere Well, you might have had to take a job and that goes for adults too. You might have had to take a job sometimes in your life, you know, to pay the rent, to put the food on the table. It doesn't mean that's the extent of your limitations and your horizons. Absolutely. And, and that just reminds me, I was reading Michelle Obama's autobiography. I've just finished it, actually. And something that she mentions is she f- had a very challenging upbringing um, growing up on the south side of Chicago. And when she went to Harvard, she also faced challenges in terms of, you know, it's very academically rigorous. But she said, I was only able to really confront those challenges because of my background, because I had already had those challenges previously in my life and I've conquered them I know I know what it is to be, be mentally resilient whereas a lot of people around her that very little challenges in that regard went to Harvard and the first um, opportunity or the first challenge they had rather they weren't able to deal with that yes all these you know people are who they are because of what's gone before not in spite of it and if you are a young person that's had to step up as a carer for your siblings or to step up in a single parent family and become the kind of the man of the house or the lady of the house, you know, and, and take on responsibility at early ages to be in conversations around money or debt or fear or where are you going to be living next week? And, and, and you're in those conversations at eight and nine and ten in your early teens. You know, it's, it's, 
it will be wrong to say that, that that can't have negative consequences. Of course it can. And that's why we that's why youth work exists to support people away from those backgrounds. And the positive part of this is the resilience that comes with that. The their ability to see things as relative problems. You know, they face so much that they go into workplace and what can we see as a as a big problem for somebody else? They're thinking, water off a duck's back to me. Now you want to try worrying about the you, the roof over your head when you're 11 years old. Do you know what I mean? So it builds in this kind of strength of character, this resilience, this experience that they can get through things. They've developed emotional intelligence, probably had to become quite charismatic individuals to be able to build rapport and get support and and friendships and all of these things. So yeah, people who are who they are because of their backgrounds, not in spite of it. Absolutely. And and something that I always hold close to me is the experiences that I've had in my life are very much my power on which to spring mm. to other opportunities as opposed to being a disadvantage. And as somebody who's worked with young people for a significant period of your career, I wanted to give you the opportunity to see if you wanted to share some tips of what you would, if there's any young people listening, of what you re- really would advise them. I would say... Talk to as many people as you can. Extend, expand your networks, expand your horizons, dream big, you know, imagine yourself doing what you want to do and really have a sense of focus and ambition and get excited about your future and talk to as many people as you can about it. People say sometimes that a mentor comes from you know, a big corporation, and that's great. And you can have a corporate mentor, but also the best youth worker you might ever meet might be the guy at your corner shop, or maybe your dinner lady. You know, everyone has something to offer. Talk to everybody, develop a sense of personality and character where people want to be around you, where you leave positive things behind for other people. What you give, you will get back. And I, 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 you know, I really think that's important that put positive intentions out there, dream big, educate yourself, read as much as you can, have the best conversations you can, don't limit your own horizons, beliefs, or, or what you think you're able to do. Educate the head as well as the heart. I heard this quote once and it said, educating the head without education, educating the heart is no education at all. And it's so true. Develop your character, be someone that's good to be around, give as much as you get. And I think that, you know, a few of those things might, might, might be tips for you there. You touched briefly about the impact report that you have at your organisation. And I wanted to understand from you, how do you go about measuring impact? And how important is that when you talk to funders, corporates, trusts and foundations or major donors? It, it, impact is w- what this is all about and it's massively important from a funding perspective it's massively important from a beneficiary perspective are you actually creating the impact and then if you work back from impact yeah, you, you can start to think about the purpose and the mission of your organization and then how you deploy its resources so if you are very clear about your purpose you then can be very clear about how you deploy your resources which then has a direct effect on the impact of your organization, but it has to be as streamlined as that. You know, what is your purpose? What do we do and what do we not do? What are our values? 
And how do all of these things translate directly into impact? So that everything you think about, everything you do, everything you spend your money on, everything you turn down, everything you um, work towards is about impact. Now, I'm probably a little bit cynical about how how much you get into the re the reporting and the metrics and all of these things. So for us, for example, we're an employment charity. The mark of our success is do we get young people into paid opportunities? And better than that, are they still in those opportunities at 12 months? So for us, 90% of our young people are in their opportunities at 12 months. We're one of the sector leaders for sustainment. And we need to be articulating that bigger and better, by the way, but we, we certainly are. So that, that's an on or off. You know, they're either in those jobs, or in those opportunities, or they're not. Would those young people recommend those programs to somebody else? So we do a range of surveys and questionnaires for young people. But that's what I care about the most. They might have increases in confidence and all these other, um, you know, skills and quality developments. But would they recommend it? Did it actually work? You know, did they have a great time? Do they feel more equipped? So there's a feeling, there's the self-perception scores that we will do. But for me, I don't want to get too kind of heavy into this, you know, and start to paralyze ourselves from our true focus, which is, are these young people in employment opportunities and are they still in them at 12 months? And would they recommend these programs to other people? And then we do the same with our employers. We ask them through our satisfaction ratings and scores. Do you find us good to work with? Are we easy to work with? Do we fulfill our promises to you of providing you with work-ready, motivated, inspired young people? And tell us. And, you know, we take that feedback and we, we, fill, um, sorry, we feed that into our programs and we, we plan, do and review and all those things that, you, you know, that's our formal ways of doing this. But that's it. There are no, for, we don't use a formal system at the moment um, for this. We just have our own in-house design. Now, that's not to say we're not always asking ourselves the question, is everything we do aligned with our purpose? And is it creating the impact we want it to make? But, you know, every organisation should be asking themselves that all the time, especially if you're rapidly growing, for example. But from a CEO perspective, and, you know, a few years in this um, sector and in leadership roles, I have truly got to the point where I believe that only success is only possible through having the right teams you know leadership is a privilege it really is it comes with its challenges of course and you should take that on the chin because this is the job you signed up for but to create the impact to have fun along the way to really build an organization which is credible financially responsible socially impactful it's only possible if you have the right people around you and, and great motivated team and you know, I'm blessed with that where I am now, but that nothing stands out to me more through my journey than that. That is, I've only managed to be, to be successful if I've had the right people around me. I would like to thank Paul for his time and sharing his knowledge and expertise with us today. There were so many great topics that we were able to cover in today's conversation, from empowering young people through to the importance of collaborative leadership and educating corporations in equality, diversity and inclusion. I was impressed with what Paul calls low ego, highly collaborative model of leadership, working with your team 
making effective use of each other's skill sets and learning from one another to create positive and impactful change. Paul also shared his vision of creating and embedding genuine equality, diversity and inclusive practices within corporations that young people go into and start their journey into their career of choice. This approach is critical. If we are going to create a society where everyone from all backgrounds feels welcome in their workplace. Thanks, Paul, and I look forward to speaking with you on the podcast again soon. We at Charity Chat would like to thank the thousands of employees and volunteers within the sector that are continuing to serve their beneficiaries. Thank you for listening, and that leads me to thank our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab, sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumit for our website design, RR Yard Photography for our pro bono images, and Forrester Fools, who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now. Thank you.